Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Visual Politic Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Whistler. This, as always, is a audio version of a YouTube video that we've uh, originally put out on the 7th of April this year, 2019. It's why Congo is one of the poorest countries in the world. I'm going to jump in throughout this episode and mention things and comment on things when necessary to improve the audio version. And let's get into it. Look at your mobile phone for a second. If you opened it up, you would see something similar to this. Lots of microchips, small semiconductors, and circuits. To manufacture all of this, you need a very special element, tantalum. So where does this tantalum come from? Well, it mainly comes from one country, the Democratic Republic of Congo. This is one of the world's poorest countries. It's impossible to estimate how many people have died in order to manufacture the phone that you have in your hands right now. Tantalum is one of the most highly demanded materials on the planet, and Congo has the largest reserves. It could be an enormous source of wealth to them. Congo is actually a country that has a lot of natural resources. Nonetheless, it remains one of the poorest and most violent countries on Earth. And believe me, the history is much more complex than those clickbait articles you found on your Twitter feed. So why is Congo so poor? Well, in this video, we're going to tell you that story. Congo was featured in the movie Gorillas in the Mist. It's funny because we don't really know anything about this country, despite how often pop culture references it. We're talking about one of the biggest countries on the planet. It has more than 80 million inhabitants living within a territory the size of Western Europe. And believe me, they have a fortune under their feet. Cobalt, gold, and of course, coltan. Coltan is, in fact, the ore that tantalum is taken from. So we all have products that are technically imported from Congo in our home. Now, many of you might say, well, wow, that's really lucky. I mean, having so many natural resources, that's got to be great, right? But the reality is the opposite is true. All of this gold, cobalt, and especially coltan is actually a curse for Congo. Yes, dear viewers, Congo is one of the poorest countries on the planet. And we're talking about what's called the absolute poverty line. Most of the population lives on less than $1 a day. Starvation is fairly common, and guerrilla warfare is so common in the country that it's no longer newsworthy. But you already know this. The question is, why? And the answer is a combination of all of the bad things we usually mention here on Visual Politic. Wars, bad governance, corruption, and of course, colonialism. Imagine all of this on a massive scale and you have a good high-level picture of the Congo. Okay, so maybe that's where we could end today's video and I could thank you all for watching and ask you to subscribe. I mean, that's why Congo is so poor, right? I mean, end of story. But you probably looked at that little red bar below this video and realized that we're not done quite yet. Because the case of the Congo is unique in history. We can't even compare it with other African nations. So, if you are a regular viewer of this channel, you know that we're going to cover all of the details about this country, including the result of their latest elections. So the question now is, well, why is Congo so poor? Why do we say that the natural resources are in fact a curse? And the most important question of all, can their brand new president lift this curse? Well, today we're going to answer all of these questions, but before we do, let's take a look back at the history. 
out to privatize a country. In the year 1877, King Leopold II of Belgium bought the Congo. And yes, you heard that right. Usually when we talk about colonization, we mean a country conquering another one. And this is where there's the first unique thing about our story today. What we know today as the Congo was a land with many tribes and a land with a huge potential to grow rubber. At this time in history, rubber was in high demand. King Leopold II, he looked at this opportunity with dollar signs in his eyes and said, why conquer a country when you can buy it? You see, this was a different time, and back then European powers thought they could do pretty much anything they wanted in Africa. On the one hand, it was a source of wealth to be exploited, and on the other, they thought colonization was kind of a matter of charity. They wanted to export European values and civilization to a land of barbarity. This is why Leopold II created the International African Association, an organization led by him that allowed him to go to Congo and create his own factories and plantations. Since the Congolese people had no private property, Leopold II could take over the land without any kind of contract. Of course, in order to legitimize this looting, Leopold II, the king of a respectable country like Belgium, claimed he would turn this free state of Congo into a civilized place. Congo Free State is unique in its kind. It has nothing to hide and no secrets and is not beholden to anyone except its founder, Leopold II, King of Belgium. Reality, though, was way different. Leopold II wanted to get as much rubber as possible, so he enslaved the population and forced them to reach production quotas. If they didn't, he would chop off one of their hands. This is how one of the worst genocides in all of history started. It's comparable in relative terms to Mao's Cultural Revolution. The massacre was so terrible, even other colonial powers such as the United Kingdom denounced Leopold for his atrocities. After Leopold II died, he passed his property over to the state of Belgium. This is how Congo became a colony in its own right. Belgium's government was a little more compassionate than the king, but still the Congolese, they were kept in slave-like conditions. You see, colonialism is one of the most despicable practices in history. But if there is one colonial power that was big on brutality, it would be Belgium. And if you want to be even more angry, let me tell you that to this day, there are monuments, buildings, and streets in Brussels dedicated to Leopold II. But the truth is, in 1960, Congo it got its independence. This doesn't mean things got better for them, though. Their first president, Patrice Lumumba, was no big fan of his former colonizers. This is why both France and Belgium helped other groups to overthrow and execute him. Which is how Mobutu Sese Seko's dictatorship started, and the country changed its name to Zaire. Mobutu is known as being one of the bloodiest dictators in history. But as we often say at visual politic, Mobutu may have been a son of a bitch, but at least he was our son of a bitch. You know, it was the Cold War, and Congo was an ally of the West, so there was always money to finance his army. But things that changed in the 1990s. Without a USSR to be afraid of, America stopped supporting Mobutu, and all of those groups that he was suppressing, they rebelled against him. This is how the first Congolese civil war started, and the country got back its current name. This was a civil war that led to a second civil war. For a better understanding of just how devastating this conflict was, the second Congolese civil war is considered to be the deadliest conflict after World War with over 5 million deaths and countless acts of torture, mutilation, and other atrocities. 
here's the worst thing. The violence, it hasn't stopped. In 2003, the war ended. Since then, Joseph Kabila has tried to be a dictator who rules over the country with an iron fist. But let's be honest, as authoritarian and corrupt as he is, he can't control the country. There are guerrillas and looting from neighboring countries all the time. So now you might be wondering, well, why is there so much guerrilla warfare? How can one country have so many armed groups? I mean, how do they pay for the guns? Well, let's have a look, shall we? Coltan Rush. Do you remember the Nokia 6110? This was a phone that was launched at the end of the 90s, and it was one of the first cell phones to reach a massive audience. It's the smallest Nokia phone ever made, weighing just 137 grams. It's the perfect size for your hand and your pocket. Suddenly, everybody had a mobile phone. And this meant more and more tantalum was required to produce these phones. Until that moment, the main tantalum producer had been Australia. The problem? Well, getting that material was more expensive than you might imagine. You see, it's almost impossible to find pure chemical elements in nature. In this case, Australia had mines where you could find some ore, and after a complex chemical process, you'd get a bit of tantalum out of it. But there is an easier way to obtain it, and I'm talking about coltan. Coltan is a rock that contains a lot of tantalum, and it's very cheap to refine. Guess where you can find the biggest coltan reserves on the planet? Well, yep, they are in the Congo. Basically, Congo is the Saudi Arabia of coltan. Plenty of it, it's easy to extract, and it's even easier to refine. In fact, you don't even need technology to get coltan, you just pick up a shovel and there you go. This is why thousands of Congolese joined the coltan hunt. And despite the high demand, tantalum became cheaper and cheaper. But wait just a second, because this is just the beginning. Remember the financial crisis of 2008? Well, it also had some consequences in Australia. From the West Australian. GAM closes Wadgina Tantalum Mine. This mine was the world's main tantalum producer. Its closure meant that tantalum prices skyrocketed. It's hard to estimate the market price for this material because, unlike oil, there are no public indexes. But according to some consultancy firms, tantalum prices almost doubled from one year to the next. And well, what was the consequence for the Congo? Well, yeah, there was the coltan rush. All of a sudden, everybody was willing to sacrifice their lives for a fistful of rocks. And this is where warlords enter the picture. Most of the guerrillas were financed by selling coltan, and the more they sold, the more violent they became. We're talking about such a huge massacre that even America had to pass a law for it. From the Harvard Law School Forum on Corporate Governance and Financial Regulation. Dodd-Frank Act becomes law. Basically, the Dodd-Frank Law was meant to protect consumers. One of its sections referred to so-called conflict minerals. One of these was tantalum. According to this law, companies buying tantalum should know where it comes from. The problem? In a country like Congo, it's almost impossible to control the traceability of a mineral, especially given that there are almost no mining companies. Yep, you heard that right. It's mostly just common people going to the countryside to extract rocks and sell them to a man who will sell them to another man, and finally it ends up inside of your mobile phone. In many cases, random miners cross the border, exploit the mines, and go back to Rwanda to process it. As you know, Rwanda is a country that's growing really fast and offers much more security in legal, political, and physical terms compared to Congo. Many of you might wonder, since it's so profitable, why aren't any big companies mining it? I mean, surely there must be incentives to create companies that can mass-produce coltan. And the answer to that is, well, there aren't. So why? Well, here's an example. From Mining.com. The 
biggest Congo coltan miner resumes buying after output halt. In this case, Basunzu is one of the few Congolese mining companies. It was founded by a Congolese senator that wanted to industrialize mining. Instead of risking lives to get coltan, Basunzu wants to use machines. That way, they can offer better security for the workers and extract a lot more minerals. So, well, what's the problem then? First of all, this machinery is expensive, and money is seldom abundant in the Congo. Secondly, nobody's going to invest in a place where corrupt politicians are going to make your life impossible. And if politicians don't do it, then some gorilla will. So, well, what happens then? Well, nobody invests in this industry, and those who do, like Bisunzu, have to stop their production all the time because of smugglers and warlords. And this is how we can understand the vicious cycle of Coltan. The more demand there is, the more incentives there are for warlords to exploit it, and the more warlords we have exploiting Coltan, the less incentives there are to create an industry that would provide quality jobs and create real wealth. This is why, despite the fact that half of the tantalum on the planet comes from this area, Congo doesn't grow any faster. So now you might be wondering, well, is anyone going to challenge this? Well, maybe, maybe not. You're going to understand that in a second. The Big Fraud Remember Joseph Kabila, the Congolese dictator? Well, in the year 2018, he had to resign and call for elections. In fact, according to the Congolese constitution, he should have done it before, but you know, dictators gonna dictate. As you might imagine, 2018 could not have been more rigged if it tried. Kabila's opponents only had one or two electoral cabins. Citizens also had to vote with tablets that nobody knew how to use. And, as you might imagine, no international observer accepted this process. From Politico. Congo to EU. Mind your own business. An election that's been delayed for two years is about to be held, and the country has booted out the EU ambassador. All right, so in this election, we had three main candidates. Ramazzoni, who was Kabila's successor, Fayulu, his biggest opponent, and Chiksedi, the one with the lowest chance of winning. So guess who won? No, it wasn't Ramazzoni. The winner was totally Chiskedi. And here's where the debate starts. According to all the organizations observing this process, including the Catholic Church, the process couldn't have been dirtier. Many analysts say that Kabila knew nobody would accept his successor, so he let a moderate enemy win. Somebody who, at the least, would let Kabila keep his fortune. Because make no mistake, despite Congo's poverty, Kabila is a millionaire. Then again, Donald Trump has supported C. Sikedi, even if it's only to guarantee some kind of stable government for the Congo. So now the question is, can this brand new president actually change things? Well, the truth is that he does have opportunities. From Roskill. Lithium and Tantalum, new Australian production from Pilbara. Basically, the Australians have found a new way to extract tantalum more cheaply, so they've reopened their mine. So what does this mean? Well, less of a coltan rush, less money for the warlords, and more incentives to create an ethical and sustainable industry. On the other hand, Rwanda, Congo's neighboring country, has been developing its own coltan processing industry. In 2018, they created a big factory to produce tantalum, and they've even begun experimenting with blockchain technology to guarantee the traceability of the tantalum. This means it will now be easier to know where our tantalum comes from. So now, this new Congolese government can partner with Rwanda to create a coltan industry that generates jobs and growth. 
but here's a question for you. Do you think the Congolese government will be willing to do so? Is this brand new president going to end the rampant corruption in order to help his country escape poverty, or, or will we continue to see Congo as poor as always despite its enormous natural wealth? So I really hope you enjoyed that episode of the podcast. This was originally a video that aired on our YouTube channel. If you'd like to get stuff right up to date as it comes out, please do search Visual Politic. That's politic with a K, one word, in YouTube, and you will catch all of our videos. Also, if you like this, please do consider leaving us a review wherever you get your podcasts. We really do appreciate it. And as always, I'll see you next time.